0: Hello and welcome to Strength and Dignity. This is Michaela Estruth and you are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Today, we are looking at another article from the website Ms. Magazine. This article is actually straying off from the topic that we've been talking about for the past couple weeks of abortion, and it's actually on, it's titled, The Future of Sex Education by Sarah Bailey. This was written on September twenty eighth, 2022, so unlike some of the articles we've dealt with in the past, this one's very recent, only a few days ago that it was published, and it's talking about the future of sex education. So before I dive into her argument and provide some of the quotes and stats that she has in her article, I just want to start right off the bat of there, our world today is very divided on the issue of sex education, even in the Christian community of should, is that even the role of an, a school to be teaching sex education to children or is that only the role of the parents in the home? For myself particularly, I think it is highly important that this topic should come from parents, especially first. I, I don't necessarily believe that education should not address the topic at all because it is a part of humanity and it is something that needs to be discussed. I do think it is a topic that needs to be discussed with maturity. And as students are growing up throughout middle school and high school, they are undergoing biological changes. And so it is very relevant in their lives. So I don't think it's a topic that should be ignored. But I definitely think that in the home is where it should start. And that communication ought to come from parents, especially as Christians who believe in the beauty of what sex is, and they need to communicate that to their children so that they can be raised in a way not to be ashamed of it or to think that it's horrible, but to also know that they need to wait and to come to understand the beauty of that in a Christian perspective as a gift from God. Um, And we'll get way more into that, but I just wanted to start off the bat explaining that kind of stance and that divide and whether or not you are on the side of like, it should be in all education, starting at this age, or it should be not included in any education. It shouldn't even be brought up in the in the classroom. Um, those are kind of the stark contrast. There's a lot of in between ground that you could fall in. Um, so I just wanted to kind of clarify where I'm standing and almost kind of in between both. Like I was saying, that it does definitely need to start in the home, but also should not be completely ignored in. While children are growing up. So, um, Sarah Bailey, she starts out with some stats at the beginning of her article. She says, quote, only 32 states and the District of Columbia mandate sex education, and only 18 states require program content to be medically accurate. There's also no guarantee that the content is culturally sensitive and LGBTQIA plus inclusive ensuring that everyone gets the information that's applicable to their lived experience, end quote. So her two main points in that long extensive quote is not all the states require sex education, and it should be required is kind of what she's implying. And secondly, that it doesn't include that, that it's basically exclusive, it doesn't include in a lot of the places that it is mandated um, education for transgenderism or as she calls it the LGBTQIA inclusive and we went into that last episode a little bit about the idea that this movement is never ending it is always thirsting you can never have enough which is why there's a plus on the end of the LGBTQIA plus I think acronyms at some point should reach a limit of letters, and I believe we might be at the breaking point here because, as you even heard, I stumbled over what the letters were and making sure I said them in the right order. And we may add f- future letters to come given that plus. So, those are her two main points about sex education. Now, Let's just start off the bat what is being taught in sex education and what should be taught in sex education, regardless of we're we're gonna kind of jump over the topic that I was talking about earlier of should it even be in schools, but let's just say what is being taught. So, as Sarah Bailey is arguing, they the feminist movement wants all this LGBTQIA plus language to be taught and to be taught as normal. But as I was kind of referring to earlier, students during the their crucial years of education, their brains are still developing. Our brains are not done developing until our mid-20s. So not only are they undergoing significant biological changes as they grow taller, as they as they begin to grow from boys into men and from girls into women, they're undergoing a lot of changes, but they're also they don't know who they are. They haven't really solidified their identity. And things can be really challenging at that age. So if a student's going through a hard time, and then he he or she is like confused or um, just sad or or doesn't feel right or something like that, um, which is very common for that age, especially as some people hit puberty sooner, some people hit puberty later. And there's mental struggle on either side of that of like, well, I'm changing too fast and my friends aren't so I feel really weird about this or I all my friends are turning into women and I'm still a young girl and I don't look as good and I don't feel like I'm as cool because I haven't reached that same made up finish line in, in a young girl's mind. Yeah, so as they're dealing with this doubt and this confusion and this impatience, all of a sudden we're going to teach them that, oh, by the way, you might not actually be a girl, you might be a boy, or by the way, you might not actually be a boy, you might be a girl. And if you have any confusion at all, you're probably messed up somehow and you are actually a girl trapped in a boy's body or you're actually a boy trapped in a female body. What, what are our children supposed to think when that is being thrown at them? How are they supposed to respond to that? So, that's kind of my argument against that, of that is not the time to be raising these issues, because it just causes way more confusion, Um, and things are not explained in the right context in sexual education. They're not framed in a biblical perspective, especially because most of sex education is happening at a public education, so of course they're not being taught from a biblical perspective, but... Because of that, it is all, you can't set any boundaries on it because you can't say don't have sex. And so therefore you are basically opening the door for all of these students to really get super confused and like pursue something because, oh, apparently it's pleasurable and maybe this will make me happy. So let me just kind of reply with some of my own stats that I found that I'm just going to state in refute to what what Sarah Bailey's points are about not having enough states mandating sex education and that it's not, quote, medically accurate. So this is what I found. In 2017, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, gave a survey, and it indicates that nearly 40% of all high school students report that they have had sex, and 9.7% of high school students have had sex with four or more partners during their lifetime. That is simply shocking. I read that, and I almost didn't believe it, because high schoolers are, what, 14 to 18-ish? Maybe if you're on the older side, you're 15 to 19 or 13 to 17 those are kind of the ages nevertheless young teenagers into the later teenage years are kind of very frankly messing around and they don't know what they're doing and I would definitely argue that that's because this is being presented not in the correct context And so instead they just start pursuing it because apparently it's supposed to bring pleasure and that causes so much heartache and pain and complications. And I won't, I don't have time to go into all of this, but, but I will in a little bit talk about just the rise in teen pregnancy and all of that. And Sarah Bailey is arguing that that's not a problem because we can fix that namely through abortion, but that emotional trauma of being connected to someone at such an intimate level and then, oh, no, I've actually done that with four people. Just imagine the pain that we're putting our children through because of this. So she goes basically through four arguments throughout this article. Her first point is that – this is Sarah Bailey in the article um, – that you shouldn't separate boys and girls. And she quotes a girl and she said – this girl says – Feeling like I needed to be separated from the boys to see what a tampon is has led to girls hiding tampons in their sleeves before going to the restroom, and that embarrassment follows you to adulthood. It wouldn't hurt men to learn about a period when they're in middle school. So basically, this is the oppressive message that the feminist movement promotes. Basically, we are being oppressed because we can't do X, Y, Z. And in this case, she feels like she feels an embarrassment because she has to go to the bathroom and not show a very private item that no one really, frankly, needs to see. Kind of like no one needs to see your underwear. Like in the same sense, no one needs to see that. Like, why should they see that? It's not important and it's not oppressive to just simply keep it private I mean, like, you don't have to know when everyone is going to the bathroom. That's just, like, kind of a personal thing. I frankly would disagree with this point because it is not oppressive to simply just keep what is personal, personal. And, in addition, boys and girls ought to be separated because it's already an uncomfortable topic at a very uncomfortable age. So... Why would we make it more uncomfortable by keeping them all in the same room and keeping their eyes down and trying not to look at each other because we're talking about something that we've never talked about before. They should most definitely be separated, if not only from the classroom but also just in communication at home. Like this should be between a between two parents and their child and that's how it should be coming through. So her second argument is that we must state this sexual education in a positive sense. Because she says, quote, when the positive aspects of sex aren't discussed, students don't learn how to have an enjoyable experience with consent or to communicate their needs. So she's saying that it must be stated positively so that they can have the utmost enjoyment and to keep students from dangerous situations. Well, students are already in dangerous situations because they should not be doing this as young teenagers. It's unhealthy, emotionally, physically, mentally, all of it. And it it has deep deep consequences down the road as we will see. And frankly, it's very sad because we're almost in experimenting on our children because not not that this hasn't happened in the past, but this is definitely a huge spike in teenage pregnancies, in teenage sexual behavior, because that didn't happen 100 years ago. Even 50 years ago, it was much rarer. And so we're basically experimenting with our children who, okay, yeah, do whatever you want until you get married. And let's see what happens to them in 30, 40 years and how they're faring in their marriages, in their mental state, in their emotional state, all of it. So, but more importantly, we, as I've already said, but I'm just reiterating this, we must discuss the beauty of sex in marriage. That is a, the deepest connection two human, human beings can share, and it's an expression of love. It's a gift from God, and God, as love, gives this gift, and we have the privilege of sharing in it. But that is the message that needs to be heard, especially as parents are talking to their children about this. It's not seek this for pleasure. It's this is a deep connection and it is sacred and it's from our Lord. And so wait until the proper time and then rejoice. So then her third argument, she basically says we should change the method or the way we present this in media of information. So she says that we should maybe present sexual education in fun videos so that it's not quite as awkward, but. I would just kind of push back a little bit. That doesn't really change the situation. You're still talking about something that is extremely uncomfortable to students of the young teenage age. And that's, again, why I'm saying it is always best to come from parents and to have that conversation with parents, especially first. If I had heard something about this in the classroom before my parents had talked to me about it, I would have been so thrown off guard. Only parents can relate to their child in that beautiful imagery of love and explain to them why this is so good and why this is so beautiful without making it very uncomfortable because the child is looking up to his parents and knows that this is right and good because he trusts them. So lastly, her last argument is she kind of completely switches the topic from sexual education to, oh, by the way, we should save our environment. So I'm going to quote her here. Quote, she says, Sex ed often fails to teach students about their family planning choices, including their option to be child free. Among the growing list of reasons people choose not to have children, like health reasons, cost, and not wanting the additional responsibility, more people are also choosing not to have kids because they're concerned about the future of the environment. End quote. So we're all of a sudden pushing sexual education, but now we're just going to talk about the earth. And she's basically, in a short way, promoting population restrictions because in order to save our earth, we should stop reproducing because we're going to overfill, basically. But one important thing that I want to point out that we've talked about before and is one of the main ideas of the feminist movement is using a euphemism for abortion. So, Again, instead of pro-life, we're anti-choice. That's the opposite of a euphemism because they're trying to paint us in a specific light. Instead of abortion being something evil, it's pro-choice because it's positive. But this goes even a step further, and it calls basically the act of abortion the option to be child-free. And again, think about Planned Parenthood. Why is Planned Parenthood called Planned Parenthood? Because they want you to think that you have the option to decide when you're going to be parents. And that includes the ability to kill your own child because you don't want to be the parent. Definitely, basically making themselves God and saying we can control this, when in reality, he is the one in control. Now addressing her larger point of saving the earth, should we stop having kids to save the earth? Is that our duty? I mean, the Lord does call us to be, have dominion and to be Caring for the earth. So, as Christians, ought we to stop reproducing as much in order to take care of the earth? You would be surprised at the arguments that people make as Christians saying that we should, but I want to push back against those just in the little bit of time we have left. With the command to tend the earth, the Lord also says in Genesis, to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. But He's Before he even gives Adam and Eve the command to have dominion, he tells them to fill the earth. And I would say that that is still applying to men and women today. And even more so as Christians, because if we are filling the earth, we are filling the earth with raising children who will hopefully rise up and become advocates of the gospel. And so we are literally and physically building Christ's church and his kingdom here on earth by having more children and presenting the gospel to more people because we have more I guess you could say ambassadors on our side and then in addition the Lord says in Psalm 127 verse 3 he says behold children are a heritage from the Lord the fruit of the womb of reward so We ought to rejoice in the beauty of children and who they are. And the Lord has made each and every one of us unique, and each child he's formed in his image. No other child like that person will ever exist. And he has given us the immense pleasure and privilege as two parents just. To raise a child up in the way that he should go. That's my next verse I wanted to quote, actually. Proverbs 22, 6. Raise up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he shall not depart from it. So not only is the Lord commanding us to have children, but he's also commanding us to raise them in his word in his truth and when he is old he will not depart from it in fact he will pass it on to his children that's something the lord commands to the children of israel pass it on to your children and your children's children to the third and fourth generations this legacy this heritage of the covenant and of truth in god's word and also in the New Testament, Paul gives commands to husbands and wives and to children, especially in Ephesians 5 and 6. And he calls children to obey their parents. He calls fathers to be loving to their children and wives to raise, to be loving to their husbands and to raise godly children. So I would say that the not only is the command to have beautiful families and fill the earth throughout the bible but also that imagery of a parent to a child is a depiction of god's love for us as a father to his children and so therefore we should not stop having children in order to preserve the earth but we ought to rejoice with the gift of every single child god gives us with the ability to teach them his word and to display that imagery of a father father's love to a child or a parent's love to his or her child as the depiction of Our Father in heaven. So, just in summary, I I alluded to this once before that God is love and He's given us the beauty of love. It's our joy to share in that. And the sacred love between a husband and a wife, we should not corrupt it. Our sex education should be rooted in God's word and from parents who set that example to their children. But if we have sex education in schools, which we do here in this country, we must address it with maturity. We should not encourage students to behave in in situations that will just add future heartache and emotional tearing and hardship. We must protect our children, not only as parents, but also as Christians. All the children who are going through education at this time, we must speak up on their behalf, defend them, and protect them so that they can live for the glory of God alone. Thanks for listening to Strength and Dignity. This is Michaela Estruth, and you are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.